My name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to talk to you this morning about a feeling, and I think you know the feeling. It's the feeling that you have before um, the biggest moment in your life. So it's that, it's that feeling that you hold, like I stand with grooms from time to time before they walk out and go forward uh, you know, to, to get married. And there's just kind of this feeling in the air when you stand uh, with a groom before he walks out. It's the feeling that uh, a young man has before he goes out, you know, let's say for his last uh, rivalry football game on a Friday night. Like just, for example, Mount Juliet versus Lebanon, you know, something like that. Um, it's that feeling. We had a family in our church um, who the next morning, this would have been Friday, the next, the next morning they would go in for uh, the inducement, the induction of twins. You know? So what does it feel like as you, as you prepare to do that? And sometimes the biggest day of your life or the biggest moment of your life feels like you're going into battle. So for some of you, the, the, the thing uh, where everything's hanging in the balance is the next morning you go in for surgery that could go either way. Right? Or you're going away for a three-day marriage intensive that's either going to go really well or really bad. You know, the, these things that we step into that feel like a battle. We have a family in our church who in the next few weeks, the, the husband is going away to be deployed, right? to go into battle. But we all, I think, kind of know that feeling, the feeling. I'm talking about the feeling before, (laughs) the feeling before you go into it. And how do you feel? You feel totally vulnerable and even exposed. People from the outside may look and and, and say, she's been getting ready for this her whole life. All of these events have been leading up to this in her life. And yet if you're that person, you feel like you're totally outmatched. (laughs) That's, I think, how Gideon felt on the night before the battle. Now, some of us have been walking with with Gideon for the last few weeks. If you're here for the first time, don't worry about it. Just jump in. Gideon was huddled with his 300, the 300 guys in his army. The day before, it had been 32,000. He's got 300. The day before, it had been 32,000. 20,000 walked away when given the choice to say either if they were scared or not scared. And the 20,000 scared walked away. 9,700 more walked away when God did this sort of strange test. They came to a spring. They were thirsty. And he said, uh, notice who drinks like a civilized man and who drinks like a dog. And 300 drank like dogs. And God says, that's your army. So Gideon is huddled with his 300. He had that feeling. I've prepared my whole life for this. God brought me out of the hole. He's been telling me the whole time that I was going into this battle. But you know, he also felt like a dead duck. Now the camp of Midian lay before him in the valley, we're told in Judges chapter 7. I love that line. It's like a, the beginning of a great epic novel or, or uh, you know, some, some movie where it's up on the screen before uh, the, the, the footage starts. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. He has his 300. The valley is filled with the Midianites. And then during the night, verse 9, it says that the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. I love, you know, it, it's building. It's like, oh, God's telling you to get up, son. Okay, do it. I've been telling you over and over that you're going to go and take out the Midianites. I'm going I'm, I'm to do it through you. But then God says in verse 10, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. I don't know if you know, notice what's happening here, but God is giving Gideon two options. The first option is this, get up. And go do what we've been talking about doing. You've got this. The second option is an if you are afraid option two. Okay. 
So first option is, you got this, go do it. And the second one is, if you're afraid, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Option one is take your 300 into battle. Option two is just you and one other guy walk down into the camp. In verse 11, it says, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Verse 12 says that the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon, if you didn't notice, chooses the if you are afraid option two. Because he can't even count the camels. Verse 13, it says, Gideon arrived in the camp. And he arrives there just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So you've got these two guys tiptoeing in, and you picture them like, you know, hearing uh, through the canvas of a tent or maybe just still in the darkness outside of a campfire, a man is saying, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Verse 14 says his friend, now this isn't Gideon's friend, it's the friend of the guy who's telling about the dream responds, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Verse 15, it says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. Outside the tent, he got down. He's like, yes, 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 yes. And he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Verse 16, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Verse 17, he says, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. Who is this? This is Gideon, the guy I'm following. Watch me, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And then he says, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Here's what happens. The 300 follow Gideon's lead. They go down, they blow their trumpets, they smash jars, they hold uh, torches and they shout and the Midianites go bonkers. They wake up, they don't know what's happening. They start attacking each other. They start turning swords upon each other. The Midianite army starts destroying itself. Gideon and his 300 don't have sword one in their hand. The scripture goes on to be very specific. It says in their left hand, they had trumpets. And in their right hand, they had torches. So this this battle is taking place before them, but it's them fighting against themselves. And Gideon's just up there like, you know, it's just a crazy, silly story. The Midianites are defeated. And the Lord wins the battle. It's crazy, right? If you're like me, I I read it and I think, that's a crazy story. That's really cool. What in the world does it have to do with me? If you've been wondering that, we've been looking at this crazy story, cool story. What in the world does it have to do with me? I would just ask you this morning, do you ever have that feeling that everything's hanging in the balance? Have you ever had that feeling? Do you have it this morning where you're like, I am up against something. Or maybe even in the last few weeks, you've had that feeling where it's like Gideon, you hear God saying to you, I need you. And you're like, pardon me, Lord, not me. I'm weak. God's like, I need you. Have you, have you, has anyone heard God calling to your heart, to your life? 
and you're saying, I can't win this battle, if you have that feeling, what I want to say to you as we wrap up this series is this crazy threshing wheat in a wine press, laying wool fleeces on the ground, barley loaves turning over tents, trumpet blowing story is for you. If you'll believe it, this is how crazy I'm feeling this morning. Like if you'll believe the Gideon story, it could change you. It could change your life. And um, I actually just want to know, like, are you ready to believe it? Are you ready to stop settling in your life for something less? Because if not, if there's not one person in here, we can adjourn early, right? Labor Day weekend, we can just head out. I don't want to tell you, I'm not here to tell you bedtime stories, right? I'm not here to, I'm not here to, to motivate you. This would be like the worst <laughs> motivational speaker, right? I don't want to tell you stories that lead you to sleep through your lives. So I'm, I'm literally, I need like at least one person to raise your hand and say, I'm ready to stop settling. I didn't know what I would do if you didn't, but here we go. (laughs) Gideon finally stops settling for what he can see. Right here, he finally stopped settling for what he could see. 17 years ago, one of my best friends invited me to run a half marathon with him. I'd never run a 5K, but he saw something in me I didn't see. And so we did this basic training thing. And uh, the farthest I ran before I ran in the half marathon was 10 miles. And so when I got past mile 10, on this run, every step that I took was a step that I had never taken. Some of you are there right now this morning in your life. You, every step you're taking right now in the thing you're in is a step that you have never taken. So we passed mile 10. It was, a, it was in downtown Nashville. We were running mostly in Shelby Park. And after mile 10, I was like, I am, I'm toast. I'm done. Saying to my friend, Adam. And I was like, you got to keep going. He said, he, he had actually run that exact race before. And he said, when we come upon, there's a place we're going to come and you're going to see the Colosseum on the horizon. Kevin, that's what it was called then, the Colosseum, right? It's Nissan Field now, which doesn't sound as Titan-esque to me as the Colosseum. But he said, when you see the Colosseum, you're almost finished. He said, you got to picture it. I was like, I can't picture it. I'd never seen it. I'd never seen it from that vantage point. All I saw was Shelby Park in the middle of the winter. Drab, marshy, Shelby Park. And he said, you got to picture it. And then he said this, and I've been preaching this for 17 years now. He said, you're going to have to believe it until you see it. Now, up until that point in my life, I had believed in things when I saw them. That's what the world tells you, right? Believe it when you see it. And just this random line in a, in a, in a little run, he said, you're going to have to believe it until you see it. And I, uh, not in that moment, I was hating my life in that moment. But later, I began to realize that all people of faith have to believe things until they see it, not when they see it. Listen to what happens to Gideon in in Judges chapter 7. This is the shift. We're right there as he turns the corner. God tells him in verse 9, again, he says, I am going to give the victory into your hands. I am going to give the camp into your hands. I am going to give the Midianites into your hands. That's what he's been saying over and over. That line, I am going to give, is what is known as the present continuous tense. Uh, or the present progressive tense, if some of y'all remember that from English class. It's the closest thing in the English language that we have to, a, to the future tense. I am going to. And so what God is saying is not right in this moment, but it's going to happen. For Gideon's whole life, though, he has struggled with the present continuous tense. He has struggled with, I am going to. Do you ever struggle with that? God's saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Gideon to, I'm going to, says, pardon me, Lord. I don't think so. He says, I'm the weakest from the weakest family. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Do you ever come to that place where you're like, God, I've heard this promise a bunch of times. 
But after Gideon takes, if you are afraid, option number two, and here's this crazy dream about a barley loaf knocking over a tent and believes that he's the barley loaf, there's a change. Gideon goes back to the camp and he says, listen to what he says. He says, the Lord has given the Midianite camp. Just moments ago, God said, I am going to give this to you. Gideon comes back and says, the Lord's done it. Nothing's changed. The Midianites are still asleep in the tents. Nothing's changed. And Gideon's just like standing up straight and he says, the Lord has given this. Gideon is now believing something that he has not seen. They haven't begun the battle. And Gideon's claiming the victory. Gideon is able to change the tents in his life as it relates to the promises of God. And for some of us this morning, this could be the morning where you change the tents as it relates to the promises of God. You've been to that place where I'm like, okay, God says he's gonna do this. God says he's gonna do this. And, and what I'm telling you is you will begin to say that the promise has happened before you see it. Don't settle for what you can see. You're a person of faith. Our culture today, though, is so full of pessimism, criticism, and a spirit of future defeat. If you want to just take what the culture is giving, then you will take on a spirit of future defeat. You will be looking to the future saying, I'm already done. I'm already toast. Well, that's not our story. (laughs) We're the people that in the face of that say, the Lord is good. His blessings are true. Life is abundant. People will say to you, when you start saying stuff like that, you say, are you crazy? Because I don't see that. And what, what you would need to say back is, oh, I'm not saying this based on what I can see. I'm saying this based on what God has promised. Gideon stops settling for what he can see and starts claiming what God gives. Gideon finally stops settling for the old labels in his life. When we meet Gideon, he's in the hole. God says, I need you to do something great. Gideon says, I'm the least from the least family. I'm the weakest from the weakest family. But here in Judges chapter seven, suddenly Gideon becomes, what would you call it? A leader? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, watch me, boys. Follow my lead. Here we go. Just do what I do. Just blow the trumpet. That sounds to me like, uh, what would you say that sounds like? Sounds to me like uh, a mighty warrior. Gideon has just become what God said he was gonna be. Gideon, I mean, it just happened. He he doesn't even know he's saying it. Before, he was always about, show me, prove it, pardon me. I'm weak. I'm the weakest from the weakest family. And now all of a sudden, he's saying, watch me. You know, he's doing crazy stuff. When I hear Gideon tell God in the beginning, I'm the weakest from the weakest family, to me, it sounds like something that he has rehearsed over and over. Like he hasn't just stumbled upon it, that maybe somebody in his family told him, you're the weakest from the weakest family. Or maybe somebody on the playground said, you realize you're the weakest from the weakest family, right? And so by the time God comes to him, he's saying, I'm the weakest from the weakest family. I'm the weakest from the weakest family. It's like the song he sings while he works. But God is gentle and loving and um, urgent with him, moving him to a place where he becomes a mighty warrior. He has to stop settling for those old labels. So what are your old labels? You know, if I say things like, I'm the guy with anxiety, or I'm the guy with the messed up arm, or I'm the guy from the dysfunctional family, just like, for example, um, Gideon has those things on his lips. I'm the weakest guy from the weakest family. 
And so you don't have to say, I'm just the poor one, or I'm, I, I'm the one who doesn't have her life together, or I'm the one with the illness. There's great power in not settling for an old label. When I met my wife, Rachel, she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. She radiated it. She was confident. She was intelligent. She was everything I dreamed about. I was drawn to her. And she told me sometime after we'd been dating, she told me, she said, you know, my dad tells me every day that I'm beautiful. I was like, every day? She's like, every day. And this is what stuck in my heart is she said, and there's particularly days when I know I'm not beautiful and I'm not feeling beautiful. And I meet my dad in the hall and he's like, whew, you are the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And if you know her dad, Gary, you know he wasn't blowing smoke, you know, to make someone feel good. He believed it. And so Rachel's beautiful. No one, no one would argue, but I've wondered how much of her beauty comes from an identity given to her by her father, spoken over her day after day after day. We were even talking about it yesterday, and she was like, I don't know if it was every day, but it felt like every day. And we were kind of talking about it, and this is just sort of an aside, but uh, I think there's something spiritual, a spiritual insight into it. She said, you know, so when I went to school and some boy, say, like me, <laughs> you know, said, hey, you're pretty, she's like, I didn't need that. I knew that I was beautiful because my dad told me. Or if some, somebody says the opposite, I'm not claiming any of those labels. I don't have to take on any of the labels. What if you went into your day and you didn't have to claim any of the labels that other people were giving you because you knew who you were? And so, Gary, I've tried to continue that tradition with your daughter to tell her she's beautiful every day. I've tried to continue it with my daughters. But even more so, in the last several weeks, we've been saying what to our kids? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In the Rutland drop-off, I'm still doing it. Phoebe's, we're rolling the windows down. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. She gives me the wave, the salute, as if she's going into battle, you know. <laughs> but I'm just believing that one day, I don't know. Maybe one of my girls goes into battle. Or maybe she's awaiting twins the next morning. Or maybe she's going through something difficult in her life. She knows her identity. It's okay if you're not there yet. I mean, you gotta say it over and over. It took Gideon a long time, but once he got it, it was like, watch out. Gideon stops settling for old labels and starts claiming what God says about him. And then Gideon finally stops settling for this self-shaming and starts claiming God's glory. What does that mean? Before, Gideon would have looked at his low estate you know, his crummy job, the things that are foolish about his life, the weaknesses of himself and his family. And he would use those to shame himself. I think, I don't, I think that's what it appears to me when he's like, the first thing he says to God is I'm weak, right? He's putting those labels upon himself. I'm weak from a weak family. But as the story goes on, God uses these crazy things. And he might, he might do it with us this morning. These things that kind of perk our attention. What, a fleece? What, threshing wheat in a wine press? Huh? Trumpets? You know, these things like, am I hearing a trumpet right now? And, and these things kind of perk us up and we begin to look differently. Uh, well, here's, here's the weird, here's the dream. Here's the weird one from this one. A loaf of barley bread rolls into the camp, the dream says, and knocks over and overturns the tent. It's so foolish, but something about that led Gideon in the middle of a camp of enemies to get on his knees and say, I got it, God. What happened? I don't know, but maybe, you know, Gideon was one of the bread makers in his family, or he at least threshed the wheat. And so this story about a barley 
bread, loaf may be something to it. We've talked about how the Midianites, I mean, the Israelites didn't have good bread because the Midianites were stealing it. They didn't have good wheat. And so in that day, the replacement for good wheat would have been barley. So instead of having good wheat bread, you would eat barley bread, sort of a replacement. Barley was a less glutinous bread, which means it didn't stick together as good. A barley loaf wouldn't be like a big round loaf of Hawaiian bread, (laughs) Uh, but instead more like they called it a cake, flaked together, uh, or a biscuit. You know, if you were to roll a barley loaf towards a tent, it would flake apart and fall apart. A barley loaf could never knock over a tent. Barley cakes, when things were going good for the Israelites uh, and they had wheat, barley cakes were given to cattle and to dogs. So Gideon hears the dream and he and his might are compared to a barley biscuit. And Gideon has to laugh. He says, okay, I get it, God. I see it. I'm a barley biscuit with my dog-drinking army. I'm the weakest. I'm the weakest thing I could picture. 300 going against an estimated 135,000. But now my weakness is going to be for your glory. And so Gideon does this thing with trumpets. And I think, if I read it correctly, that God doesn't tell him to do the trumpet thing. That's like Gideon's idea. A few stories back, remember, Gideon feels the spirit of God come upon him and he blows a trumpet. So what Gideon does when he feels God's spirit is he blows trumpets. And so he puts a trumpet in everybody's hand in his army. And the way God, uh, the way Gideon decides to lead his 300 against 135,000 is to blow their trumpets. So here's the deal. If your military tactic is blowing trumpets and you win... There is only one person that can get credit, and that's God. So stop shaming yourself. You are a part of the family of God. Know who you are. Know who your father is. I've never pounded a podium (laughs) in my life. But it feels like life or death. That we have to know who we are. So stop shaming yourself in your job. It's not the perfect job. You're never going to have the perfect job. Stop shaming yourself in the divorce you're going through. Stop shaming yourself that somehow this illness is your fault. Stop shaming yourself over your children's decisions. You're a part of the people of God. We tell ourselves a different story. We're mighty warriors. Until we see it. Until we see it, we claim it. We're still talking about a battle won 3,000 years ago by trumpets. If Gideon, you know, if Gideon had fell flat on his face, if he had blown trumpets and been overtaken, we'd call him the biggest fool of all time. But instead, we call him a mighty warrior. And that's what this series is about. Are you ready to live your life where everything hinges on the power of God? Are you ready to push all your chips to the middle of the table? Are you ready to lay it all on the line? And say, hey, no matter what, I'm like Gideon. I'm setting up a situation that if it goes through, it's only because of God. It's not because I have my sword. Whatever it is you're going through, you know, you can say, I'm going into marriage. I'm going into battle. It's the same thing. I'm going into uh, surgery. I'm going into this test. I'm going into this game. I'm going with my trumpet and nothing else. Just your silly trumpet. <laughs> and when it's done, only God can get glory. So we're done, with, we're done with Gideon for a while. There's a lot more Gideon stuff to come in the, in the Bible. You can read about it. But, but for us, I want you to think about this morning. Are you ready to stop settling 
for, for the battle you can win with your sword. You might be able to win a battle or two, but you won't be able to take 300 against 135,000. That's only done through the Spirit of God. Uh, this morning, um, if you want to pray a prayer to say, I'm done settling, uh, actually, I've asked uh, Liz and Pastor Regina, they're going to be back in this corner. Look where I'm pointing, back in that corner. There's a fire extinguisher. Don't stand in front of them. That's a code, that's a code violation. But if you'll just stand sort of next to that, they're going to pray over you. They're going to ask God's spirit to come in you, to fall on you. And as we come to this table set with bread and juice, it's a way for all of us to receive Jesus. Jesus pulled all of this story together. The people, when they were enslaved, they had bread that was uh, unleavened. It was like a barley cake. And this bread became the symbol for them that God got them out of the mess and out of slavery. And then when they went into the wilderness, guess what God put on the ground? Bread. But it was like bread, like that kind of manna. It was this flat kind of bread, like a barley biscuit kind of bread. And then when Jesus came and he was about to go to the cross, they had a meal and he took that same kind of bread, like a barley biscuit kind of bread that would have rolled into the tent in Gideon's day. He said, this is my body given for you.